Thanks for tuning in to the PLR podcast, where we aim to build a network of leftists in the state of Rhode Island to someday win political power. As always, I'm Alex here with Evan and Andy, and today's guest, Olivia from Tenant Network RI. How's everyone's pause going? Good. I really haven't done much. I've just been chilling at home and working, really. Hasn't really affected me much at all. Yeah. I'm, like, working a little bit less. It's been really dead at work. Uh, I work as a restaurant worker. This is Olivia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we haven't had to really work as much because, you know, they sort of cut capacity. And it's also just people are actually sort of staying home. So that's sort of good, at least in my neck of the woods. Not everyone is staying home, though. Uh, I So I read this article um, earlier this week on um, on a fitness club in I think Barrington, Rhode Island called Max Fitness Clubs with two Z's at the end. Nice. <laughs> nice. In which the the owner of the club refuses to close. He refuses to comply with the, the pause and his argument is that there is no data in science that COVID spreads in gyms. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that that was kind of somebody who seems unnecessarily resistant to the pause. Yeah, I mean, even the governor sort of just laid out all the science because, you know, she was asked at her last, like, you know, weekly hearing about about that. And it's like, no, we actually have plenty of science that, you know, <laughs> you're working out, you're huffing and puffing and, you know, you're all your spit and whatever and air is getting everywhere. So yeah. probably should you should probably close. And I think they with a bunch of those now, they went to, like, you know, the state Supreme Court or whatever. A superior court already and like they've been ordered to close but at first it's only like a $500 fine but I think if they just like keep on refusing eventually like the police or something probably come and tell you you have to shut the fuck down there's like there, there's mm-hmm. two things in my opinion the first one is like I understand that like the small businesses need to stay open to make money like I get that and like they should be getting more federal funding to help them survive through this but at the same time how do germs not spread in gyms? Like, I just think of gyms as, like, the most germy place that yeah. you could well, Like in. Olivia said, like, not only are you blowing mucus and breath on everything, but immediately after you get up, someone else comes over and is right where you were. Yeah. And even if there are places where you're going to be wiping down, like, the machinery and uh, the weights and that kind of thing, you can't get everything. And you're still also, like, in an enclosed area, right? And you have all these clouds these like billowing clouds of just breath that could be carrying COVID onto each other. So it's just a greenhouse basically. Yeah. Bam. There it is. <laughs> Especially like in the showers. I was just thinking that have you ever been in a men's gym shower? Yeah. It's the most musty, disgusting place you could ever go into. I don't know about the women's showers, but the men's showers are pretty gross. But yeah, I mean, I, so like, I feel this guy, I understand that why he wants to remain open, but it just doesn't really make sense to me. But well, you so, wouldn't understand. You're not a gym owner. You know, you don't know better than scientists and you know everyone <laughs> else leading these things. So nor am I a gym rat. That's true. Um, but this is an example of one of these people that is uh, not so comfortable with the pause. I actually have an article on that with sort of around the pause, if mm-hmm. I may share. This Olivia. Please. Um, so um, this is an article from Eater.com, um, and it's about Detroit, but it sort of applies to everywhere. And it was 
The title is uh, Defiant Restaurant Tours Are Distracting from What the Industry and Its Workers Really Need, which is uh, relief. Um, and so, like, you know, we're really just seeing, even in Rhode Island, you know, the pause only happened starting on, like, November 30th because the uh, Rhode Island Hospitality Association, which is sort of the employers association for the restaurant and, like, hotel industry, actually lobbied the governor to push it back because they wanted more time to, you know, on the surface, they say it's more time to make sure that you don't have to, like, throw out all that food and, you know, mm-hmm. and deal with waste, which is reasonable, of course. But it was also because, like, they're like, we're fighting to keep you open uh, is, like, the big thing. And I know other people in the industry and stuff and even some restaurants are like, no, we probably need to, you know, <laughs> actually close and we just need relief, you know. Yeah. And uh, luckily, that you know, they did release, like, I think there was, like, a... Uh, a hundred million or something that's going to both workers and also the restaurants, at least another like 50 million for the restaurants. Like they're, they're giving out grants and things like that. But, um, yeah, no, there definitely needs to be more federal relief. Like they just need to pay for everyone to stay home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean like two, at least two solid months of that, I feel like would be a good solution, but instead, well, they can't even agree on another stimulus bill. So, I mean, what's the chance of them ever agreeing on keeping us all home for two months and not letting the businesses drop? But if you look at the other countries in the world that have, like, gotten their heads above water in this situation, it's even, like, Wuhan, where theoretically this business originated. uh, Yeah, they kept people home. They delivered food to them, to the citizens, and everybody got paid. And now they're cool. They're back in the club. Well, they attacked it aggressively in a way that if they did that in the United States, it wouldn't fly. Never you know, if fucking someone, happened. Way too communist. Yeah. Yeah. People can't even put masks on. You think they could deal with the government telling them to go to a hospital because they have a fever? No, I don't. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I Even through working in restaurants here, I, you know, met a bunch of, you know, uh, RISD and Brown students and stuff that are from some of those countries. And, like, I have a friend who lives in China, and she's a DJ. I do DJing on my side, little uh, gig I do. And uh, they literally can have dance parties and raves and all this stuff now because they shut down so hard. And they've just, you know, one side effect of that is that they've kept their borders, like, super, super closed. Um, But maybe that's a little bit reasonable uh, at the moment when you're trying to, you know, mitigate uh, something as crazy as a pandemic. But, um, you know, if we just, you know, it's really clear to me, at least as a leftist, that we need to shut down. I like passively read this article about um, the police being a major vector of the spread of COVID. Um, did anyone else read something like that? <laughs> I did. I did. Um, actually, in the past couple of weeks, there have been massive cases within both the police department and in the detention centers. Um, There's an article uh, that I read from early November about how, um, like, you know, within a month or just since October, there were, like, something like, you know, 50 new cases within the police because those people are not required to isolate and quarantine if they're asymptomatic, which we know the science says asymptomatic doesn't mean you don't have it. 
and you're still contagious, even though you are asymptomatic. Um, and even at one negative test prior to symptoms uh, doesn't mean you don't have it. So essentially, these police officers are not wearing masks. They're in cars together. They're going to and from all these spots and they are uh, taking people in, infecting them with COVID. They're uh, being, you know, shuffled into the, uh, not prisons, but there's like a word for the like staging area. Um, Departments like detention center, something like that. Well, no, but there's like a, there's like different like levels. holding cells and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, holding yeah. cells, etc. Um, and they're, they're spreading the disease. And then the people who are actually being uh, incarcerated, many of whom aren't actually being convicted, they're awaiting trial, are just these like sitting ducks hanging out in this area, in this like closed, confined, poorly ventilated area together, uh, w- waiting to die. And that's not just the prisons, that's like the Wyatt Detention Center in Central Falls, that's also... Um, like nursing homes, any uh, they call it like congregate care. You can't you can't compare a prison to congregate care, obviously. But incarcerated people are absolutely being left to die, and it is the people that are supposed to be caring for them, the COs and the uh, what uh, everybody from the Department of Corrections, the police officers, etc who are bringing the disease in and essentially Mm -hmm. killing these people by the hundreds. Alex actually got some uh, mail for his zine that he does on the side. Well, I don't know on the side of what. It's a zine that he does. Um, Somebody who is incarcerated wrote him a letter kind of explaining what's been going on uh, in the center where he is nearby and he was just I mean it's tragic you just hear about people dropping like flies essentially like so quickly and it doesn't seem like anybody's caring there there are activists and unions calling for um, early release compassionate release the only person though that I've read about being released is like a mobster (laughs) like they were like you can go (laughs) but like other nonviolent offenders or like nonviolent drug offenders or whatever, or people who straight up haven't even been convicted, they're waiting for trial, are still stuck in there, and they're going to catch it, and they're going to die. It, something I thought of the other day, because I was, I was driving, and this cop, like, came behind me. And so, like, when any cop comes behind me, you're like, oh, fuck, now's my time, right? And I had, like, read that article passively, and I was like, what happens if this motherfucker pulls me over and, like, comes up to the window with no mask on? Should I be like... Excuse me, sir. I'm not rolling my window down until you put a mask on. And like the truth, and I thought about this a lot. And I was like, the truth is that because I'm a white dude, he's probably really he or she is probably likely to do it to listen to me. But imagine if I wasn't. Imagine like not being a white dude and being scared shitless to essentially tell a police officer what to do because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. You know? If you didn't want to roll the window down, they'd be like, oh, this person's being suspicious and yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You definitely get a pass being the person that you are. And that's wild. They don't have to wear masks. Uh, oh, they no, they're supposed it. to. They're just not. Okay. But they don't also, they don't isolate, right? They don't have to stay they on. They're not required to isolate, no. That is insane. It that is, is not crazy. Cool. It's I- crazy, too, just because, like, 
you know, these people come culturally from the same uh, groups of people that, you know, are obviously very anti-mask, anti-vaccine, anti-any truth (laughs) about the pandemic and things like that. But they're simultaneously like the Blue Lives Matter crowd. So like, you know, where are we protecting these cops who are, you know, uh, you know, going to die all from COVID because... You know, there's probably more. There's actually more cops dying right now from COVID than from like police murder. Yeah, yeah. it's there are more. Um, yeah, more than civilians, the, the police are getting sicker. Um, but because it would take them off the streets if they had to go in quarantine, it would deplete the ranks. Um, yeah, they have to stay, keep doing their job, ultimate essential. Please don't take what I'm saying as sympathy for cops because it's absolutely not. But uh, it's like they are being sacrificed almost. But like for what? To protect the interests (laughs) of the state and Uh, property. Oh, yeah. Not the people because they're giving it to the people every time they give you that warning or that ticket or you ask for directions and all that stuff now because, you know, they don't have to stay home. But They also, like, don't – if they stay home, they don't have access to things that they need that they would be able to access if they were in the tasers. office or whatever, like all those tasers. <laughs> I can't shoot anybody from my couch. We just talked about, like, the, the, the taser budget. It was part of the, the police budget was – affording new tasers for them. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's wrong with the old ones? Doesn't it all do the same shit? Like, I don't know. These are Bluetooth tasers. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can command it with your voice. <laughs> Siri and Alexa are involved somehow. And yeah, there's like, there's stuff that they're doing, like they're taking their temperature every couple of hours and they're like monitoring them for symptoms and they're issuing new masks so they don't have to wear the same masks like our doctors are having to do. Yeah. Um, they're, they're giving the police at least a little bit better treatment than the freaking doctors. But uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's not enough, obviously, because it keeps spreading. And it's going to keep spreading. This pause that we're having is going to get extended. I guess there like may or may not be a vaccine, but who knows when that's actually going to yeah. come to pass. I mean, like, don't put your faith in the vaccine. You know what I mean? A lot of people, I feel like, are doing that. I mean, I think it's a great thing. If it comes out, I'll probably definitely get it. But, like, don't let that let your guard down completely. I guess it's the point. Yeah, yeah. Even, like they're having a stress right now because there's a lot of talk right now of like the vaccine looks like it's going to probably come by the end of the month at least for like first responders you know so please doctors things like that but you know they're really worried that the public's going to get complacent because there's a vaccine and they're saying like even if you you have to remember too you have to get two of these and like the Mm -hmm. second one you're going to get probably pretty sick and so like please still take it and don't be afraid because you just keep on hearing your friends get really sick or something but uh it's, it's just because you like you know, get the vaccine doesn't mean that everything's over with yeah. everyone else. And just because it's coming doesn't mean throw caution to the wind until then either. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, who knows? You like might not get sick because you have the vaccine, but you might still have it in your system and be able to give it to other people. We don't really know yet. Yeah. Right. And if you think about who's being denied care, people with disabilities mainly, um, it's not this shit. It's not going to go away. Everybody's always talking about after COVID's over and when things go back to normal. Um, but for some people, that's not going to be a reality. 
there's, all, there's an important class analysis to this too. I think that um, the last people to get a vaccine are not only disabled, but also working class people. I mean, they, they are clearly not a priority when it comes to, you know, like doctors we understand should get the vaccine, cops less so, <laughs> but all of these professions occupy a certain um, income bracket where these things are readily available to them, where they're not to the everyday person. Yeah, I'm actually really worried that, you know, after all, like, the first responders and other people that they're probably going to prioritize first, um, you know, obviously they're probably going to try to prioritize, like, essential workers, like Amazon people. Amazon is probably going to have its own program. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, you know, um, all those folks. But, like, there's a lot of people, obviously, um, who are going to be able to access that. All the people that can do remote work, they're going to have the incomes that can, like, afford them to, like, go and just get tested and the knowledge to, like, how to get tested as soon as possible and things but it's everyone else who's like non-essential but like poor workers and things like that or laid off people or that laid, are unemployment or homeless yeah or... exactly and like i just a, a good friend of mine told me to never underestimate how much uh, capitalists will allow like mass death of like working people oh, yeah. like you because it's sort of crazy logically you'd be like if you need these people to like make your profits when you like you know if all the working class people die <laughs> then you're going to have to go to work. <laughs> but, you know, we also, you know, the population's huge, so they'll let a lot of people die. Yeah, the institutions, like the corporations, they're going to be permanent. We build them, we spend our whole life putting our our value, our labor into them, and they're going to stand even after we die. And uh, we're just a temporary resource for them to do what they need so even if a lot of us die it won't be enough to really stop things not like a general strike would like what's happening in india or something mm -hmm. like that but well and this isn't the first time guys think about the aids pandemic in the in the 80s like never forget that the government straight up just abandoned people left them to die yeah it's it's just good it's happening again I think that the, the, the point about Amazon that you mentioned is a good one because you also see points in which um, things that intensify a struggle on the part of the working class can be turned into a form of, of profit making by companies. So Amazon, for example, or, or even other, Walmart or, or one of them could you know um, uh, sponsor their own vaccine in which all they're doing is marketing it to their customers that like not only their employees but their customers and so making people pay ten dollars to get a vaccine or something like that when you get millions of ten dollars that's a lot of money to make yeah that's a definitely a potential scary future yeah but just in case we want to lighten the mood with cops because maybe we need that there's this uh so there's this um this newspaper in Rhode Island is called Go Local RI. I've heard of that, yeah. Um, and they do this thing every Friday called Hot or Not, where they look at these uh, uh, people or, or news headlines from Rhode Island and they proclaim whether or not it is hot or not. And so I went through it this Friday and I found one that I thought was particularly funny. Uh, one hot thing from, according to Go Local RI, is that um, the police arrested a dog. They considered this hot, so let me read it. It says, breaking and entering suspect, this pup was detained for entering a neighbor's house when she opened the door. 
Our, C, our ACO was able to assist, and we let the little guy off with a warning. He was returned to his owner without further incident. And this is hot. This is hot news from Go Local. All right. I'm glad I'm the police responded. That's <laughs> definitely a good use of taxpayer money. <laughs> she, she called the cops on a dog? <laughs> I guess so, man. I don't know. It just seemed to me that, like, this is... And, and th- what's bizarre is that they labeled it as hot. Like, this is cool. Hot this dog. is so This is so cute that the cops did this. You yeah. know what's ironic is that there will be people that have restraining orders out on people that are dangerous, and the cops won't respond because mm-hmm. they have no responsibility to protect the person. Mm-hmm. And then they'll respond to someone having a dog in their house they don't recognize. That's or cute. how they'll shoot a kid playing with a toy in a park. But LOL, the dog, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's hot. So hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another one that is hot that I thought was kind of, I mean, you know, this one depends on how you look at it. It could be hot, could be not. To me, it's kind of in between. This company, um, I don't want to name their their company. They're a restaurant chain. They have two of them in the state of Rhode Island. They uh, recently were looking at the lowering uh, tips for their employees. They wanted to do something about it. And so this guy, the owner of the company, brokered a deal with another company in order to make beer can candles for his company to sell online. And the story is that this guy was on Etsy trying to figure out a way to have his employees earn more money, and he came across beer can candles, and he was like, oh, perfect idea. I'm just going to mass produce these and sell these uh, for $20 a piece, but the employees only get $6 per can. So this guy is pocketing 14 of that. I mean, I understand that like some of it has to go towards like the wax. The beer cans, I don't think really cost any money he probably just recycles the beer cans from the restaurant but i thought this was kind of a an interesting again profiting off of what's going on was this hot or not this is hot this is cool local go uh go local all right thinks that this is some uh grade a entrepreneurship well i'm sure that he has an excuse for that saying that his business is probably suffering too and he needs the extra income in order to like keep himself afloat but the question is is like if you're doing that specifically for the employees let the profit be for the employees yeah okay what if hear me out this this is a hot take crazy idea what if employers pay their employees a living wage what because then they don't get the virtue signal and do these little things to make them seem like a good guy you know and what if they cared about worker safety I actually saw an interesting article about how uh, it's from Labor Notes about how North Pole elf sickouts score masks from Santa. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, uh, apparently holiday toy production season got off to a chaotic start this year. Santa Claus at first resisted the elves' demands for COVID safety measures, prompting a wave of sickouts around the toy workshop. Many elves joined the sickouts apparently, and uh, I, and and the reindeer, I guess. And oh, and the candy strippers local one two two four President Zach Keebler uh, to tamp down on the risky resistance, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess eventually they all teamed up together and uh, they won. So you know, at least they have like masks and uh, you know maybe the kids are gonna get their 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 toys and stuff. You know, it's it's good because like I heard from the governor of Rhode Island that you know, that um, 
Fauci, the top doctor in the nation, said that Santa is actually immune to COVID. So, I saw that. You know, I saw and, that. And his reindeer are too, but... And she said the elves were, but I don't know. It sounds like there's uh, conflicting stories in the media and that the elves, uh, you know, won their sick out. <laughs> so they the, got some elf consciousness going so on. So the elves <laughs> probably went to Santa and were like, yo, man, you need to look out for us. And he was like, I got this genius idea that I saw on Etsy to make some <laughs> candles that we can sell to the little kids. And the elves were like, how about you just give us a union and, like, make sure that we could survive? And there was some resistance, but I'm glad the elves won that one. And that they didn't sell shitty candles and beer cans. Probably smells weird, no? Yeah, I wonder. Like are these these candles, though. Like, yeah, do they are they like you know hops candles? <laughs> I have a picture here. It's oh, a picture. it's literally just a beer can with with like no, wow. it's just white wax. At least they're inside. tall boys. Yeah, at least they're tall boys. But yeah. Yeah, bucks and, per candle. Yeah, this is crazy. Is that, oh, it's course. it's autocratic Gansett beer. Perfect. Man, there's a market for everything. Mm-hmm. Twenty dollars. I mean, there's only. A Do the workers get paid by the can? Is it piecework or is it <laughs> wage labor? I there, there, I don't know. There was a link to the uh, website where you can buy mm-hmm. it. I wonder if the owner decided to open his own Etsy or just sell it, sold it out of the restaurants. Um, website. All of this stuff with the pause and all these things going on are seem to be so important and so evident to all of us. And yet, the one thing that stands out in the news in Rhode Island, I think, in the past two weeks, is this proposed transformation of um, Kennedy Plaza. Kennedy Plaza. Kennedy yeah. Plaza. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what what was it, what were they doing to that again? I forget. I believe they wanted to repurpose uh, the area and decentralize the the bus system, if I can remember correctly. And it's just gonna really mess with a lot of people that um, that are housing insecure that are over there that actually get outreach from a, a number of um, a number of groups in Providence. And I think this is just another way for the city to. Uh, try to polish off the undesirables quote unquote and um it's just kind of a kind of a crappy thing to do in my opinion what are they doing to it are they like splitting the bus uh stations up that's what they and there was there anybody in rhode island congress that is like gung-ho for this law or is there just something that appeared out of nowhere no the, the governor has been about it for a long time like this got proposed a long time ago even the city council voted against it i'm pretty sure like most people are like why are we doing this doesn't make any sense and there's no good explanation well there's a lot of like sorry there's a lot of like uh push initially from the former mayor Right, right. Paolino, who owns a bunch of property downtown, and he wants that area to be, you know, spick and span. Even though only, like, eight years ago, they, like, redid the whole... They spent a ton of money to, like, riot-proof that place because it used to be, you know... It used to be a little bit easier to, like, get away from the cops and stuff now. Now it's all super flat, and that's on purpose. They put a million cameras up, and they made it super easy to not be able to run away or anything like that because they're always worried. They're always doing, like, new crime busts, trying to, like, you know stop like small drug dealers and things like that down there or just whatever but it's because of pale you know i honestly think and like other business interests so and and as andy said it like comes at the expense of kicking people out of there i mean that's what 
another one of the goals of the whole thing. And it just baffles my mind that that seems more important right now than like the what's going on with Rhode Island workers and the police problem and all that. I didn't know that about them clearing it out in a way to make it more strategic for the uh, the police. That reminds me of like uh, wasn't Chicago also designed that way to kind of like go against insurrection and also some place in France too. I think it's like this really fascist architecturing kind of strategy. Well, a lot of that stuff started in like the '60s because like uh, especially on college campuses in in the United States, they started building them more and more uh, to be. It's like the more space there is, the more flat it is, the more like less winding roads. Like in Europe, one of the reasons that people get away with like social unrest so much is because you can just like zigzag around yeah. a few corners real quick and get away. Um, but if you, you know, build like really large roads that are super wide and, and just any wide spaces like that, and then just put a bunch of surveillance cameras and then, you know, bring in the police force, you know, it's going to be a lot harder. So I had a, I had a comrade who used to work as a Dells boy uh, down in Kenny Plaza. And during that time, you know, he was a radical. And so he started doing like a whole like sort of geographic analysis of that area and all the plans for that area. Yes. And uh, I could probably pull up the article for y'all for your next show or something if you wanted to continue Yeah, that sounds really interesting. It. In terms of like American history, the, the, the first major cities on the East Coast, like Boston, New York, Philadelphia, they all have like those circular roads and stuff like that. That the American, the emerging American police state learned from, so that when they went west in the creation of cities like Chicago and Detroit, they're all very grid like rather than those circular old colonial settings. And part of that is, like Olivia said, just so that forces can maneuver in there easier. And you can like literally grid where a movement is going or something like that. It's all pretty scary, but uh. it also seems like with this thing with the uh, transportation hubs and stuff like that is that they're you know it is a way also to push austerity on just on Ripta in general too. They they'll probably be able to cut routes. Oh yeah. You know they, they want yeah. the hubs to be like in like uh, the the state Roger Williams Park. Uh, down by like South Main Street and then maybe another one in the jewelry district and you know they just want to basically keep the riffraff away from downtown they just want to turn Burnside Park into like that whole area they just want it to be like this cool cute area where they can do PDD fast and all these festivals and cultural events for white people that's really seriously just what it is what you doing Gina back for the interview portion of our episode and we are here with Olivia, the lovely and talented Olivia from Tenant Network RI. She's going to tell us a little bit about what they have been up to and then hopefully if we're lucky and well behaved she'll tell us about some of her musical exploits and any other thing that she might be messing around with. So Olivia tell us please about Tenant Network RI. Sure. So, uh, Tenant Network RI started, um, well, it was officially sort of started on, I think, like, 420 of April of this past year. Nice. But uh, we started back in, like, the beginning of, or even in the lead up to 
the first shutdowns around the pandemic because we started realizing, okay, this is going to be a real thing. Uh, like uh, just a few like activist or organizer folks and even just concerned like coworkers and stuff of mine um, realized that like people are probably not going to be able to pay their rent. Mm. And uh, so we just initially started with like a call for the governor to, uh, you know, which has been a constant demand of ours in the beginning to enact, um, you know, rent forgiveness or rent freeze or, or, you know, the need for rent assistance as well as an eviction moratorium Mm -hmm. and foreclosure moratorium. So on the policy side, that's been like a big thing that we're fighting for is, you know, no COVID evictions. I mean, a lot of us would believe in no evictions period and finding ways to mitigate those problems outside of, you know, discipline against working class renters and tenants. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, for now, practically we're, you know, fighting for, um, an eviction moratorium as well as uh, more aid uh, and better access to aid for uh, tenants and renters. We're also, a big thing that we're also trying to do though is build power for the long term. So like, you know, we felt like other cities in the United States that were more prepared for their renters and tenants, it was because there was already grassroots organizations, community organizations that helped out tenants and renters and specifically uh, folks that are part of this larger network called the Autonomous Tenant Union Network. Um, there's like the Philly Tenants Union, the LA Tenants Union. Those are the probably two really big networks. There's the Chicago Tenants Movement out in Chicago. They, um, you know, they already had built these, you know, years-long projects of building actual tenants unions, which is like when you organize with all the co-tenants who are under the same landlord or all in the same like big apartment building mm-hmm. to form an association to, you know, fight for your rights. So we've been trying to start to do that for the first part of the, you know, for the first half year of our existence, we mostly focused on like emergency um, sort of assistance with folks. We were just helping people like navigate state programs or find a free lawyer pro bono from like the Center for Justice or um, how to apply to, you know, rent relief or things like that. Um, But then we eventually realized like that, especially once the CDC uh, eviction moratorium happened um, where people could sign an affidavit and um, hand that into their landlord or show up with it to the court and have the you know court say nope you can't evict this person at least until January 1st um, we sort of really switched gears and started just trying to really focus on that longer term goal of the you know we call it base building of trying to build a, a base of you know tenters that can actually like tenants that can fight back you know so can you explain kind of in really basic simple terms what an eviction moratorium is for listeners who may not know yeah sure so an eviction moratorium would be um an order from the state government or the city government that you know there would be a stop on all evictions um and eviction filings eviction proceedings um for the duration of the crisis. That's what we're f- fighting for, is for the duration of the state of emergency that's been uh, enacted by the governor that uh, there would be no evictions. Um, yeah. So that would mean that no one would be you know, kicked out of their homes or the constable would show up and say, hey, you have to go and we're gonna move your stuff out. 
Have you run into any kind of issue where people would uh, fake eviction notices, like landlords, or draft fake eviction notes for people to kind of intimidate them into leaving? Yeah, so there's, you know, the, the state attorney general right now, you know, even at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, released to every police department in the state, you know, a notice saying, just a reminder, if landlords, you know, help themselves tip towards evicting uh, people on their own without going through the court process, then that's illegal. And you can show up if, you know, a tenant complains or whatever and, you know, reprimand the landlord um, and tell them to stop. Or, you know, if they're really unruly or something, probably take them into custody or something. But um, we definitely, you know, know that the powers that be and just the, how the power structures culturally and stuff aren't exactly that way. So we've definitely heard reports of, you know, self-help evictions through this. That's what they're called. Um, or just, you know, a lot of a lot of tenants. That's another thing. We really try to, like, um, build tenant awareness and education around their rights uh, through this. So we've done some, like, tenants' rights workshops and stuff because a lot of tenants, when this started happening, didn't understand how evictions work. They can actually, like, take a while, like, you know, two months or something, two, three months. But a lot of times people say, see the first notice you normally get is a notice that says, like, a five-day demand notice uh, where there's like you've got five days to pay your rent or then they say that they will start the eviction proceedings. So if you don't pay your rent in five days, I'm going to file for an eviction or whatever. But sometimes people see that and they're like, okay, I'm going to move. Right, right. You know, so a lot of times those are legal. And, you know, as basically the uh, Rhode Island Landlord and Tenant Act essentially has a part where there's uh, some basic forms that you can use and as long as you basically use the language that is in those forms it doesn't really matter what like how it looks or anything like that then it's uh, real so sometimes we've had people show us like you know letters though to answer your question specifically uh that don't seem like they're legal letters um but most of the time it's just that it does it's not on like you know some official looking paperwork and so tenants are like is this real or is this not real but we usually just send them to the center for justice which is a great organization out of rhode island of like free legal help that they're you know socially progressive and um they help folks uh, sort of figure that stuff out um though we've gotten a competency for figuring that out too when they come to us it's fantastic yeah, I've heard stories of like landlords just saying you got to leave, and then just disconnecting their utilities and that kind of thing, and then yeah, people... that's that's like that would be a self help eviction thing. That's a retaliation, um, and it's that's technically like hella illegal. But what's a, like a working class person gonna do? Like bring them to court? So you have to like we try or to... if they even know that it's not you know a legal thing to do. Exactly, people just accept it right off the bat. They assume the landlord knows better than them. And yeah, one one thing that we've worried about is that like certain zip codes we've seen you know recently we actually came out with like a um a short very small uh basic survey or study of the of the fact that you know there was like 10 major evictors and there's basically 10 lawyers that are the ones that help the most of these uh these landlords evict their tenants and you know a lot of those are in certain zip codes but there's definitely other zip codes that we still hear about a lot of evictions but there's a good chance that a lot of those are those like self-help evictions, especially like in the south side of Providence and things like that. Um, whereas a lot of the other ones that we at least get eviction filings have been from like Onlyville or Manton, Mount Pleasant, uh, Hartford area, things like that. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it's been a it's been a problem, and 
there's been a few times where we get reports of someone maybe in the process of a self-help eviction, but we haven't had to do anything where we like send out like, cause we're just a group of everyday tenants and renters. You know, we're not a specialist group. We're not an agency an NGO or anything like that. Nonprofit. We're just a group of everyday renters that thought, Oh shit, this pandemic's going to happen. People aren't going to be able to pay their rent. So, you know, we're willing to show up and be like, Hey, no, you can't evict this person in case like they don't trust the police or something like that. But none, None of that's really happened or no one's really reached out to us around that. Um, but we do know that things like that have been happening. And even though there's been this like CDC moratorium, a lot of people, you know, have their landlords say, I'm not going to follow that. And the crazy thing is that Kyrie is like a $100,000 fine. Whoa. And stuff. So, you know, then it's really on the tenant for it to be like, yeah, prove it in court and you might be able to really screw your landlord over. <laughs> but like, they, you know, they're very resistant to it. And then... The other problem is is that tenants are dealing with like landlords trying to say, oh no, I'm not evicting you because you didn't pay your rent. I'm evicting you because of this like safety issue. Some bullshit. Yeah, like other bullshit issues and stuff like that. So we're really just trying to like both, you know, teach people their rights as tenants, get them organized into organizations where they can actually build their power as tenants. So we could eventually like, you know, do rent strikes down the line or things like that. Um, or just fight for repairs or, you know, code enforcement, you know, because a lot of tenants will even, the smarter ones that, like, figure out how to, like, work through, you know, all the legalese on various state websites will, like, try to call code enforcement. And code enforcement can even be like, hey, you stop doing this. But then the landlord just, like, still just doesn't do the thing. And the process can take forever. So we're thinking if we just fight it directly, it might put a lot more pressure on folks. So that's sort of what we're doing. What kind of workshops or whatever are set up to let tenants know their rights? So, you know, we did a few over the summer uh, with, like, you know, Center for Justice, other housing justice organizations, like uh, the uh, Childhood-Led Action Project, Direct Action for Rights and Equality, because they have a tenant and homeowners association, um, people from, I believe, House of Hope, um, and... um, we also had um, Molly from the coordinating entrance, entry system um, give us like a little talk about like how to post could get emergency shelter and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, we're just trying to generally let people know about these programs. Like that was a big thing for a long time is that like people just didn't know about these programs unless like their landlord told them, hey, you can sign up for this program if their landlord was like that nice. A lot of landlords are like, no, I don't want to, like, yeah. help you stay in your place. I'd rather just, like, especially during the pandemic, we had a lot of, like, people fleeing New York who were trying to, like, live here now because they heard during the summer that we were, like, the lowest state, which is funny because we're not the lowest anymore. We're, like, the second worst state for potentially yeah, getting COVID right now. now. <laughs> I just saw that in the news today. But, you know, so there's plenty of um, – we're just trying to let people know their rights and really try to stop them from having to deal with evictions because – you know, once you get, we're seeing a lot of people who eventually do get evicted and then they can't rent anywhere. It's like they're blacklisted. Mm-hmm. If you have an eviction on your record, it's as bad as if you went to like prison and you checked off the like, I'm a convicted felon on an application or something like that. So, um, yeah, so with workshops, we've done some workshops. We're trying to put together with Center for Justice probably eventually, but maybe doing it on our own, a new tenant um, rights handbook. Mm-hmm. Because there is an old one that was sort of just a, you know, a lay interpretation 
um, of the Residential Landlord and Tenant Act from 2007. But um, yeah, uh, we just think it would be easier to like, especially through our experience with actually working with tenants, like there's certain frequently asked questions and things that come up a lot more. So um, but yeah, so our main things that we're just doing right now is mostly focusing on trying to still push for an eviction moratorium because the CDC one's gonna like lapse soon. And it's looking like there's going to be a lot of houseless and unemployed people come the new year. And then just trying to continue to like organize uh, some co-tenants of uh, one of our members. Um, they rent with like a large uh, like realty management corporation that handles a bunch of different landlords. And so we're trying to organize all those tenants right now to see if like they have problems and get in touch with us. So. So you're helping out people who, who already are in apartments or houses or whatever and are having problems with their landlord. You're not so much in the business of securing housing for houseless people. Yeah, no. So we're not really trying to, like, um, we really just, like, can't help with that. Unfortunately, we do, like, provide resources for those people. If, like, someone comes to us, we're like, here, you could talk to, you know, the Coordinated Entry System or House of Hope or the Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless, and they can try to help you get into, like, emergency housing. We have helped some people with, like, doing, like, GoFundMe fundraisers mm-hmm. or, like, mutual aid and collecting money for folks. And, like, we have put up, like, one family in a motel for, like, a, a few months now um, through helping them just, like, spread the word about, like, their need uh, to, like, support their children and stuff like that. And um, we finally helped them, like, you know, connect with the right people to, like, get a caseworker to, like, probably get shelter. Um, Because otherwise we were like, are we going to... Because this woman had an eviction on on her uh, record. So she's been, like, everything's fine. She, like, probably, like, has work. She, you know, has the money to get places and people just, like, won't rent to her. So, you know, we were possibly going to, like, you know, have one of our members, like, take out a new apartment and then just put her in there. But, you know, that's a big risk. And so, uh, yeah, we're not really in, like, the... We can't help you, like, get housing. It has been frustrating in certain ways for a lot of people that come to us because, you know, they're getting thrown around a bunch of different places, told to call a bunch of different numbers. And then, unfortunately, especially for the state-based programs or the NGOs, like, you know, Crossroads and United Way were the main ones that were got, got rent assistance. And so but they were like severely understaffed for much of this time. And they basically were like, here, Gina from, you know, the state, the governor was like, all right, we have $14 million worth of like CARES Act money. Here's 7 million to Crossroads. Here's 7 million to United Way, figure it out. You know, and they have small staff. So so in my opinion, I think, you know, it'd be good if the state actually invested in staffing them more uh, (laughs) to uh, actually be able to manage these programs. but yeah i mean the only other big barrier with a lot of that is all the programs rely on documenting like a bunch of different like legal documents that you need to have you need to have your lease an actual copy of your lease which many tenants don't have you know you need your landlord to like sign off on it um so it's essentially a landlord bailout and not really a tenant bailout Mm um yeah um i wanted to ask maybe a, a final question unless did you have any more questions, Andy? I'm enjoying just uh, listening to what's going on. Yeah, no, I got no questions. Uh, the last question I wanted to ask is if somebody needed you guys' help, 
uh, how would they go about contacting you? So, yeah, the best way to um, contact us is, you know, we have various social media, if that's easier for you, because a lot of people don't always, like, use email and things these days. But, you know, we ha- we're we on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. You can reach out to us there. We also can be emailed at tenantnetworkri at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a phone number. I don't remember it off the top of my head, <laughs> but if you go to any of our pages, it's listed there. And... Um, yeah we'd just be glad to like you know our biggest thing that we're trying to do right now is like if you have repair issues or if you're getting retaliation from your landlord for any reason or you want to know just your rights like we can help you find the right people to help you with that like we might not always be the people that can actually get you immediate help but we will direct you to those people is there anything that these people should come to you with um that like i don't know if they a copy of their lease or something like that no, I mean, really, they just need to tell us their story, and mm-hmm. it's sort of just case-by-case case basis, um, really. That with that, we start with uh, just believing people that their struggle is real, and they're not crazy, and they're not bad people for, you know, not being able to, you know, pay their rent most of the time, or not being able to figure out how to fix a situation that their landlord won't fix. Mm-hmm. And so we just take their word for it until like you know it's proven otherwise that maybe uh you know they're not a great tenant or something like that yeah now you might have already answered this i might have missed it i just want to clarify something um now if someone like myself i'm not going through any kind of um strife in my living situation but i still would like to be a part of what you're doing and maybe grow like that that uh, foundation or that base like you were talking about, could I still join? Yeah, so we're basically, our long-term goal is to build a tenant union for, you know, Rhode Island. So all Rhode Island renters, which is a lot of working class people, we're hoping that we can organize them all into a large tenant union. And it's for people, regardless if if you're struggling or having problems with your landlord, it's to like, someday you might, or, and if you are, you know, united with other people, they'll have your back in case that day comes or you'll have their back. You know, if you care about building strong communities, then we really hope that you would join the tenant network and be able to help out with that. Um, we definitely need a lot of help. You know, a lot of people initially came to us being like, how can I help? You know, and they really just wanted to like donate money or things like that, uh, which has been great. But we are sorely lacking people that actually want to like go out into the community and you know talk to other tenants or find people that are actually struggling and things like that so anyone who wants to help with that type of work is very welcome to join the tenant network it's a network for all tenants in rhode island all of rhode island too right all all of rhode island you know we are prominently like providence but we have people in Pawtucket. we've had um people like in warwick um people in Newport that have come out to us, you know, we will handle anything in Rhode Island proper. Um, once it is like Massachusetts or Connecticut or something like that, we'll hand people off to like other organizations that understand like their legal and political realities more. Cool. We'll for sure put a link in our Instagram uh, to your page. So listeners following our page can get to you. I would say one like last thing I'd like to leave people with is that if you can call um, your state reps um, and uh, Governor Gina Raimondo and uh, demand that there 
is a bill right now uh, calling for an eviction and foreclosure moratorium to demand that that gets passed or that Gina institutes um, an executive order. She likes to say that, like, there's legal reasons why she shouldn't do that. It might not be as effective. But, you know, the thing is, is that, like, we've she's had a chance there's been like six months of you know or more of being able to like stop this eviction crisis from happening and i think it's just their moral obligation to pass something um to make sure rhode islanders aren't out on the streets or we are going to have a major major crisis and you know uh the you know the i said before the communities that are mostly hit are like 02909 02908 and you know if they are getting evicted, they're having to move in with family, and that's basically creating the exact types of social gatherings that the governor repeatedly says are spreading COVID. Great point. You know, yeah. so, um, you know, it's congregating a lot of people inside, people that are already, you know, very marginalized and, and struggling um, because, you know, n- these people, they're newly homeless. They're not going to be... Uh, necessarily moving into shelters or onto the streets right away they're moving in with their families and things like that and it's spreading covid and it's spreading the disease so this is like a health emergency as well as just a moral emergency so call the representatives and say what there's a script right yeah there's a script that we have online on our websites and stuff like that um and the phone numbers are there too. and the phone numbers are there and we have like a link for you to find your representative if you you know don't know who your representative or state senator is and, uh, you can yeah. email too, right? You can email, you can call, you can mail them hard copies of mail. Um, really, we'd even encourage you, if, like, if you feel comfortable, if you want to try to show up to their offices and tell them, like, no, don't do this. Like, we need this. It's it's gonna be an emergency because you know Trump's not gonna probably extend this or anything like that. It's gonna probably be on Congress, and we're not sure yet if Congress is gonna pass any new like regulations or anything like that yeah i think like after the first stimulus bill there was an expectation that like tenants would be guarded via another stimulus bill but now that that hasn't happened that liberal excuse has kind of fallen through and so now congress is just kind of like everyone's on their own now yeah i mean that's that's basically just been it you know they need to get us money because they're basically taking if you're going to take everyone out of the economy like other countries they didn't lay everyone off either you know yeah. like they didn't fi- basically fire everyone the united states had like the craziest approach to this like other countries just said you're still employed at the company you work for you're just on furlough and we're going to pay you like 80 percent of your wages that you previously had to stay home and stay healthy yeah. whereas here they just fired everyone and said oh shit maybe they need money and, like, the only reason we even had, like, probably even got somewhat through this last year, honestly, this leftist podcast, I'm not necessarily a Bernie fan, but Uncle Bernie was the person who really pushed for us to get $600 uh, in all those renter protections in the CARES Act because, mm-hmm. you know, the corporations wanted huge, huge bailouts, and the Republicans were, like, you know, pretending that they were going to filibuster if they didn't get those things. But Bernie was like, no, I'm going to filibuster you if you don't actually give people good unemployment and protect you know these tenants and get them you know resources for rent assistance and things like that so yeah you had some good points i think that's like the best thing that's honestly came out of bernie in my opinion was (laughs) actually protecting people in this pandemic i think that the unemployment agreed on in the the stimulus that will likely pass is half of what it was in the first yeah it would be three hundred dollars yeah well do you want to plug anything else before we wrap this up 
Yeah, sure. I'm also a member of a local uh, leftist organization in Rhode Island. We're really, really new. We're down to talk to like any leftists affiliated to groups or otherwise. Um, but def- definitely want to build uh, good relationships with other groups. We're called Counterpower. Um, we were formerly known as the Organization for a Free Society. And um, we have a chapter here in Rhode Island. We have a chapter in New York, a chapter in Richmond, Virginia, and um, some chapters in like uh, Pennsylvania, I think, Chicago, members in Berlin, elsewhere. Um, but, um, you know, we're just, uh, we just released a book called uh, Organizing for Autonomy. And it's a sort of like a history, theory, and strategy book about, you know, an analysis of the current world that we live in um, as a, you know, a capitalist, imperialist world system, uh, a vision of a different type of world, a communal and free society that, you know, we hope everyone could be able to live in where actual needs were met, and uh, a strategy about how to get there through building institutions of counter power, through building our power as working in oppressed people to actually fight back against these systems that oppress us. So um, definitely check that out. It's on commonnotions.org. Uh, That's the press that put it out. You can get it for like, I think $20 on there or like 16 or $14 for a digital copy. And we also have a bunch of like podcasts and media that we've been doing. So just look on the internet for counterpower.info or follow us on Facebook, Twitter at uh, I think facebook.com slash a free society, twitter.com slash a free society. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for coming. And yeah, you're welcome. It's great talking with you all today. Uh, today's show is ending with the song Dragged by the Newport punk band Bulletproof Backpack. Thanks for tuning in. Hey!